What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? Episode. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to episode 53 of Crossover Commerce. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself already this morning. Uh, this show is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Pr- Ping Pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. An account with us actually enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving and making international payments all in one platform. If you have questions or find want to find out more information, you can actually how to save e-commerce uh, your business and more uh, with more money and save that money. Sign up for a free account today by clicking on the link in the description below. Uh, thanks for joining us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We're having some issues on LinkedIn right now, but hopefully uh, if you're trying to listen to this on LinkedIn, we'll, we'll get you all set up here. Uh, but if you're also listening to us at a later time with our digital downloads, thanks for listening us to us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or wherever you consume your podcast, um, do me a favor right now and go ahead and follow, like, and share this episode on social media and hit that reminder button on YouTube so that you get notified for future episodes of Crossover Commerce. Go ahead and follow Ping Pong Payments or follow myself, Ryan Kramer, on social media. Again, we'll notify you of future episodes coming up. We go live about four to five times per week with leaders in the Amazon and e-commerce space. So if you're watching us now, tell us what you think in the comments below. We'll be able to see those and respond to any questions or thoughts you might have. Now, with episode 52, I'm excited to kick off a week. We're going to talk about Amazon Canada, and I really want to dive into with a special guest today. Uh, our guest is actually going to be somebody who uh, is an active Amazon seller. Um, his his uh, He actually helps successful se- six, seven, and eight-figure sellers expand their sales into Amazon's international par- marketplace, not just on Canada, but in UK and beyond. He is also the host of Maximizing E-Commerce podcast on the YouTube channel as well. Let me go ahead and bring in our guest today, Kevin Sanderson. Kevin, welcome and welcome to Crossover Commerce. How are you? Ryan, thanks for having me. This is a, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, LinkedIn is not working today. So I think it's the case of the Mondays for uh, here. On- <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh, but- case of the Mondays. Yeah. Exactly. Got, got to love it. And if I'm pinging in the background, I need to know, I need to silence all of my notifications because people don't understand that this is a podcast. We can't be talking to me right now. I'm talking to you. So welcome. Uh, how was your weekend? Let's start off with there. Good, good, good. It was uh watch the Super Bowl yesterday, um, which I'm yep. sure many people did. Did you make lots of money on all of your bets? That's the no, first I didn't. I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't make or lose anything because I didn't make any bets. I um, good. I I live in Southeast Florida, Tampa's West Florida. So okay. I would have been happy if Tampa won. And then I would have been happy if the chiefs won because I went to Texas tech and that's where Patrick Mahomes won. That's and right. I think Patrick Mahomes has already become the greatest player out of Texas tech in NFL history. He's like 25. And <laughs> this really blew my mind. I'm the same age as his mom. And so she oh, started wow. a lot earlier than I did with well, at least you're not at least you're not Tom Brady in this instance and then we're going this is this is how this show goes we're, we're going down this rabbit hole at least you're not Tom Brady and we're like when I won my first Super Bowl my opponent was six years old I think that statistic was super fascinating in that 
you're still competing at the highest level of your your profession, which is crazy that he's made more Super Bowls and won more Super Bowls than any other franchise in right, sporting right, history, which is crazy. Yeah, any team. He himself has surpassed every other team. Uh, well, yeah, that's crazy. Which is crazy. I, I grew up um, in Dallas, and you know, of course, it was it, it, in the '90s. It was all about Troy Aikman, and there was the history with Roger Staubach. Yep. And then, you know, looking at him, and then another crazy thing to go down the rabbit hole there is, um, so his mom was born the same year as I was. Tom Brady graduated high school the same year I did. So wow. when you think about it, like. Tom You're basically Brady Tom Brady. Literally, could be. <laughs> That's you. You are Tom Brady. Yeah. Where, where's that paycheck that you're getting from Tom Brady? Like, you should get like residual rights from that. Right. You know, all of us in the class of '95 should get. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, again, for people who are just joining us on LinkedIn, I finally got us figured out. So, thank you for joining us. Uh, you missed our intro. We're with uh, Kevin of Maximizing E-Commerce. Uh, we're just talking a little bit of Super Bowl because that was a fascinating, it was a weird year. Like I, I feel like the Super Bowl wasn't as exciting as people thought it would be. And then just people nitpicking and whatnot. It's been a weird 2020, I would say like in general. So trying to like normalize it, watching the Super Bowl was kind of, was a little bit nice, but it just didn't feel like the actual Super Bowl, the lead up to it, the, the whole pomp and circumstance, if you will. But yeah, yeah uh watching that last night i love the ads i'm in you know marketing so i i right. love just seeing like what is the big kind of movement i think did you get any takeaway of like what people were talking about besides like social justice or politics or anything like that we don't have to talk about that but did you get any kind of excitement from what companies are trying to tout and talk about well some of it is has to do with what does my five-year-old son get excited about? And he was, he made me re rewind the one with Matthew McConaughey where Matthew McConaughey okay. was basically like a cardboard cutout until he ate 3D right. Doritos. Then he became 3D. <laughs> That's right. I'm still catching up because I missed the first half. I was on, I was on a podcast for uh seven figure seller summit. So we were just talking in the middle and the beginning first half. So I got to miss mm -hmm. on like first half of everything, trying to catch up as we were talking anyways. Uh, yeah, that it was super exciting. I know, uh, for all of you watching, let us know what you thought of the Super Bowl. What was your favorite commercial? Or if you're listening, let us know as well. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Why don't you, Kevin, kind of introduce us to you as a, you are an Amazon seller, correct? Or you were, or you're still consulting with people. You're doing a little bit of everything, correct? Yeah. So I, um, I, I still have an active seller account. Um, I don't put as much of my primary focus into it as I once did, I now handle more of uh, helping people grow into international marketplaces. Um, just to kind of backtrack a second. So since yeah. we're on the subject of football, um, I used to be for 10 seasons was a high school football official. Um, really? Awesome. Yeah. Tell me yeah. more. What got you into that? So I play would be a strong word to describe my high school football career, but I was you know on the team. And um, then in college, I worked at the front desk of a hotel that was across the street from Texas Tech. And um, they had a contract with the school's athletic department. So we would get like, you know, all kinds of people staying there. A lot of the times recruits would stay there. But what was more interesting was like the officials, the big 12 officials would oftentimes stay there. Okay. And um, what was crazy is like, you know, talking to them, I realized like, wait, these are real people that actually do this and like, you know, like kind of personalized, like, Oh, I could do that maybe one day. 
And so just didn't really do anything with it until my early 30s. I just said, you know, what, I'm going to do it. And so I joined my local uh, association in the Orlando area, which is where I was living at the time in Orlando, Florida, and then moved to where I live now. And I short of it is I decided I was going to take after dabbling a little bit in retail arbitrage, which would have been the summer of 2015. I said, I'm going to take a season's worth of earnings as a high school football official, and I'm going to use that towards my first product. Interesting. So that's yeah. so, so I know I can't imagine high school officials are making too terribly much money, right? Is that, is that kind of a stigma that you guys are, or high school officials were making a lot of money? And like, I guess to get started on Amazon, is that like a couple thousand dollars? Is that like $10,000? What does that look like? Yeah. I, I think, well, Here's the thing. This has always been this debate of how much should you start with. I hear a lot of people say like, oh, you know, you need like 10 grand to do it right. Like, right. Sometimes you got to take a step back and say, what is their, what is their definition of doing it right? And, and what are they trying to get to? Like sometimes the person saying you might need to do it right. Maybe they have a service where they help people launch and they know that you need lots of, you know, money on Facebook ads. You need to run the Facebook messenger to do it right their way. Um, I think if you're coming from a background where you're not entrepreneurially minded or like, you know, you got a corporate background like I did, um, you just need to get sales to understand that like, this is actually possible. I think and it's not just theory. Like you need to just have the barrier of like, you go from a zero to a one and then now on, on the, your sales in the app, and then you can see like, Oh, okay, this is real. So I only started with like 200 units of a product. And, you know, basically you're right. High school football officials don't make all that much money. It was like 75 bucks a game or something like that. Right. And so and when they had to say, Hey, you know, the game, such and such part of town got rained out last night. Can you work tomorrow morning? Uh, yep. be like, sure. Why not? That'll go towards the uh, pot. Or, you know, that year I uh, got selected to be on the uh, a squad that would play in the playoffs. And we went not to the state championship, which would have been fun, but I got right. to go to semifinals. So, you know, that was more games I got to put into the uh, bucket. I love it. So what you said, what position were you playing actually since you did play? Um, so I was in high school, I was a wide receiver slash linebacker. Um, not nice. particularly great at either. <laughs> you were there. You, you, you wore the letter, you wore the letter jacket. Yeah. They, yeah. They gave me a letter jacket probably just uh, to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll tell, I'll hype you up for a little bit. I, I did high school sports as well. And this was funny. Like I gave people this like range of what state, cause I won a state championship and I gave people like these ridiculous different answers. I go, what sport oh, wow. do you think I won state championship in? And this was like back in 20, 2007. And mm -hmm. I said, what, what, uh, what I, I think I said wrestling, lacrosse, diving or baseball. And like, I had all these people like, Oh, definitely wrestling. And I was just like, interesting. And then a lot of people diving and I go, well, thank you. I feel like you have to be a diver. You have to be physically fit and you have to like have this like physique about you and whatnot. Uh, but then like all of a sudden there was this wave of baseball and I was like, yeah, like if you look in my background, like I have a bunch of baseball stuff. Yeah, exactly. So if you're, if you're listening to this, yeah, I have a bunch of memorabilia on my walls some of it is comic book related, but also a lot of it's baseball. I'm a huge Cubs fan, and uh, I am the only one in my family who's a Cubs fan. So if you're watching family, I'm sorry. I, I can't help you. Um, 
they, they're all Cardinals fans, so that's on them. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, so, so that's kind of the funny thing is like the perception of people and getting uh, what they thought. So, but yeah, my jun- junior year of high school, I won a state championship. So that was exciting. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah it, uh, our school was known. I think they won like a series of like how many years in a row state championships. So we were, we were pretty, pretty good in terms of that program, but I played and traveled all over. So I, I understand like the rough nature of travel sports and then officiating as well. So that, that's really cool. So you did that. So was that your introduction to e-commerce was I'm going to take these earnings as my quote side business and put it into my selling portfolio basically, and, and kind of go from there. So we can even go back farther than that. So th- okay. this is, awesome. this is Let's really do it. a big um, mistake I made was <laughs> in 2004, 2005, um, I bought on eBay a couple of Nike Forwoods golf clubs. Right. And keep in mind, there wasn't really like, weren't podcasts like crossover commerce. There wasn't information. Well, I guess there was information. It just would have been, you had to dig a little deeper within exactly. Yahoo.com to find it or something. Um, but basically, I bought two Nike Forwoods because they were going to eBay for 40 bucks. And my, very quick product research was to go on nike.com and see that the MSRP was like $395. So I was like, yeah. Oh, I could 10 X my money. I can flip this. Yeah. Well, I didn't do what I now know is what you should do and say, what was it selling for ongoing? Because if mm-hmm. I'm paying 40 bucks, why would the next person turn around and pay 400? You know, like right. the market exactly. is usually fairly consistent over a relatively short period of time. And so I got them and I just decided I won't do anything. And so I should have done something and I should have, um, you know, sold them even at a loss because I would have learned something and going back to the whole thing about like, uh, you, you learn by doing, it becomes real once you actually see some sort of results and it's easier to optimize once you're up and running and doing something than it is theorizing. So I was just theorizing for, years until um i think it was probably about 2011 i started listening to entrepreneurial podcasts um my wife had just gotten laid off from her job she was working for a uh, a fairly major uh publication company she was in a division of the company that just got axed and so it just had me thinking like, who knows, this might happen to me at some point. Right. Um, fast forward into the future. It did. Um, I was managing a team of event managers at a hotel and uh, basically I was asked to walk the plank. So I went into work at my buddy's insurance agency and I um, was very deep in the entrepreneurial world there as an employee, but like, you know, I'm friends with the owners. So I was like seeing what they're doing and, I was like, I'm working really hard for someone else's dreams and I'm happy for their dreams and their success. But I was like, if I'm going to work this hard, I want to do it for myself. So then I started, that's when I started getting back into the world of e-commerce because at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, you know, we only have so much time on this planet. We might as well do what we can to control our time, control our destiny. And, you know, you come to realize it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but, um, you know, what this 2020 has probably taught a lot of us is, just because it seems quote unquote safe working for large fortune 500 companies or something like that. Um, it's not. And so I can tell you from what I know, 
some of these Fortune 500 companies have X number of people who are laid off, but those numbers in a lot of cases are actually larger because they have a bunch of people still on furlough that are kind of in this weird middle ground. No benefits, no pay, no severance. They're just right. sitting there and maybe they'll be brought back in later. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of power in being able to control your own destiny and make the decisions of what your next move is. So, so as, as a consultant, are you seeing a lot more people take that step into like entrepreneurship because of that? Like where are we in 2020? I think a lot of people did see like there was a lot massive layoffs. Lots of companies couldn't, you know, hold on to their either employees and staff, but also um, a lot of people are like, I need a reason basically to hop into e-commerce. Do you think that's, are you seeing that on your end? Yeah. So publicly, I would say I'm kind of more known for helping people launch into international marketplaces. More privately, I get more um, requests from maybe companies that are selling elsewhere, generally somewhere in e-commerce, and but then they're trying to figure out Amazon. So, you know, maybe they're doing multiple million dollars on their own website and have hardly any e-commerce sales, which believe it or not, that happens. Um, right. They're trying to figure out the Amazon side of things. So, I've got so you're taking them off Amazon and putting them on Amazon, but then international expansion from there too. Yeah, exactly. And, and the international expansion tends to be more folks who are, you know, uh, up and running to a certain point, um, you know, depending on you know what level they've hired me to help them. But I would say, even within the Amazon world, it used to be even just a year ago, the thought was, okay, just go all in on amazon.com because mm -hmm. just maximize it to the best you can. But then you start realizing like all your eggs are in one basket. And all of a sudden, if they say you're non-essential, so you can't send anything in for two months or. I was going to say, did that come to a point in 2020? Like as we, you and I saw, there was a point where people literally, literally wouldn't allow or Amazon wouldn't allow inventory to come into their warehouse because they were in quote, non-essential. Is that yeah. the point where you're like, hello, this is what I've been telling people all along is diversification. Like do not put your eggs in one basket. Yes, exactly. And so it all comes down to, I, I was affected by that. It was, um, I remember I had a shipment and it was, I think it was sitting on like my, porch uh, that I was sending it out to Amazon. And it was like the day they announced that you, they weren't going to allow more shipments. Thankfully I was fine because I already had the label, right. but it was like, you couldn't create new shipments in seller central at that point. And, you know, I think a lot of people are realizing like, okay, you got to diversify. And so if you're trying to figure out how do I diversify? I think oftentimes Amazon sellers and myself have been this many times. It's like, okay, if I have all my eggs in Amazon's basket on amazon.com, the best way to diversify must be eBay, Etsy, Shopify, um, potentially Walmart. And let's figure those out. And, you know, some of those sound great, but then you end up spending all this time on what is, how do I fulfill orders? How do I figure out the new algorithm? What are the terms of service? What do customers expect? I remember my first eBay order got returned with a very nasty note. And I thought I was doing everything right, but it was just, the person was just mean. And I've heard that a lot of times with eBay. I thankfully haven't had that too much with eBay customers, but I haven't had very many of them relative to Amazon. And I started finding like, you know, places like Canada and UK, I'm getting substantially more sales then I'm getting in these non Amazon 
platform. So I'm getting the sense of diversifying um, by going into other marketplaces because, you know, some of the challenges we had here in the U.S. aren't happening in other countries. Um, and I'm getting that benefit, but I'm not having to figure out something else because really I'm going to, this is grossly oversimplifying it because oftentimes what we do is we make it more complicated. But when you go sell in someplace like Canada, like the biggest difference is the money symbol is different. And so you're just selling it in a different currency, but like the mechanics of seller central are the same. I was going to say, is that, is that something where it's just the education is just not there where they're, it's, it's too scary to know the, whether it's the listing needs to be um, rewritten in a different language, or it's just the money component of it. What do you think is the biggest misstep for a lot of Amazon sellers, whether they don't take that step to sell internationally or they do it incorrectly? I think some of it is just the fear of the unknown. Cause you go into another country, now you're playing in someone else's sandbox. But I mean, here's the thing. Amazon's not going into hostile countries. I don't, I'm not going to say names of countries, but they're not going into someplace that's hostile to the U S I mean, these are countries that all have, well, I'm not a lawyer, but let's just say for the most part, they all have very favorable treaties. Um, there's a saying where goods cross borders, armies do not. So I think in actuality, I'm not oversimplifying or I'm not overstating this, but in a, in a sense, you're contributing to world peace by, putting your stuff in another country because you know, you're creating value for those customers, those citizens in those other countries um, and they can purchase your product. And because the reality is they're buying a product anyway, they're going on amazon.ca going on amazon.co.uk. They're searching as we're doing this, somebody's going to be watching this and someone somewhere is looking up their main keyword and they're buying a product. It's their competitor who took the initiative to get started, but they would have bought your product had you been listed. And so when you look at it that way, you realize like, oh, okay, like um, I'm missing out on sales. And once you're up and running, it kind of runs itself. The hard part is, you know, maybe there's some forms you have to fill out, but like Canada might be 10, 20% of your US sales. I've seen oftentimes even higher than that. You never know until you try, but relative to what your sales might be, if you went to Walmart or eBay, you're going to do better. And really once you're up and running, you have less to figure out. Absolutely. And again, welcoming everyone who's watching again on LinkedIn. Uh, good morning from uh, for everyone. And then uh, hello everyone from uh, LinkedIn. Oh, that's something about a job posting that we have. So if you have questions oh. about job posting, this is not the forum for that. So, uh, thank you for watching, but yeah, go ask a question directly to you, whoever you submit your resume to, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, initiative. yeah, I mean like, Hey, uh, I work for ping pong, but you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm just the talking guy. I, I don't do all the hiring. So, um, but yeah, thanks for watching us live. If you're watching us on social media, everyone, uh, we have Kevin Sanderson, uh, from maximizing e-commerce and especially what we're talking about is growing in the Amazon Canada. I think a lot of people uh, have this notion of, Hey, Canada is not going to replicate or do the same amount of volume sales as .com. Um, therefore I'm not going to put all my hope and dreams into it or I don't see success in it. So I'm just going to bail. What, where do you, what do you say to the sellers like that uh, in those kinds of capacities of whether it's just not 
worth my time or effort? Or is there other ways that I can dip my toes into Canada without thinking, hey, it's going to take all my time, effort and you know, money to expand into another marketplace like a Canada? Yeah. So here's the way I look at it is you got to compare, you know, the fact that there is no other Amazon.com. So please, if somebody's watching this and they figured out someplace else that no one knows about, that's another Amazon.com that you can get Amazon.com level of sales. Please let me know. Cause I want to know. Everybody wants to know. Uh, in fact, they probably won't tell us because it's a, it's a secret, but chances are you would have heard about it. Um, Amazon Canada, for example, uh, for me over the holiday season, what is an extra 22% bump in sales on top of my US sales? My international sales was an extra 56%. It would have been in the 60s, I truly believe, had I not been, um, my growth was substantially higher in, let's say, Canada and the UK than it was in the US year over year. So I started running out of inventory of some of my more popular products in those countries. Um, so think of it this way <clears throat> over the holiday season. So basically the 30 days leading up to Christmas Eve in the U S I did around $72,000 in sales. And if I had on my international sales, Amazon in total was about 112,000. So that's a substantial amount of revenue really for just taking the products I was already selling and offering mm -hmm. them to customers in other marketplaces and someplace like Canada, you don't have to translate. UK, maybe a little bit of translating, um, you know, because their words are a little different. Right. Certain words you want to make sure they get translated. Right, exactly. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're kind of using their language. So it's a little bit more important to them that we use it. But Canadians, they, for the most part, live pretty close to the US. There's, uh, there's no official statistic on this, but I've read estimates anywhere between 70 and 90% of the, uh, Canadian population lives within a hundred miles of the U S border. So even though it's the second largest country by landmass, they're there. They have a culture that's very similar in a lot of regards to the U S. Gotcha. And then when, when that comes in the case, like obviously there's, uh, there's, you don't have to worry about French translations. Correct. Oh uh, yeah. Francois, I was going to say just opt in there actually. Uh, for those of you, I'm, I'm putting in the comments below, like where Kevin, kind of talks about what he, what he does for his business. Uh, right. So there's that in the, but Francois, a friend of the show says, do you translate to French for .ca? That's a great question. And um, so no, there's not even a place to put it. Like if you put French in your listing, your entire listing on .ca is in French. The only way for someone to have French as a customer would be to go into their settings and they would change to translate in settings on amazon.ca and have it show up in French and then the machine will translate it or they use their browser to translate it. And so for the okay. most part, your customers going on there are English speaking. So there would be no real benefit in your mind to translate or have a secondary listing in all French? No. For Canada, okay. No, I mean, you know, think about it like if you're well, and I think some of it is because French isn't uh, official language in uh, 
Canada. So like anything you get from the government, they have to offer you French or English um, in correspondence. But th this is not an official statement. This is just more my understanding of how things work over there. You know, right. in a lot of cases, there's what, you know, is kind of official. And then there's what happens in practice. Most products, especially in Amazon.ca, are supplied outside of Canada. So they are not labeled with French and English. And the people that are going and buying there are, you know, English speakers for the most part. Even if French is their first language, they're, you know, they still speak English. It's kind and, of like in their second nature to understand it's going to be in English. Is that what you're saying? Right. right exactly. So because maybe there's this like, this is, somebody could correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is, you know, the folks in Quebec have this kind of strong feeling of French culture. So they've kind of, I don't want to use the word imposed, but they've, they, they've, they've influenced the government to using French as a uh, official language outside of that context. It's not quite so black and white right. as I understand it. So, you'd so be, it would behoove you for time and money and effort to just keep it simple for tip, maybe number one, if we're, if we're counting, keep your listings in English and let the translation happen for that percentage of people who either want it in French or the browser will do it for them. There's no real harm in having it just in English that you are aware of. Yeah. I mean, because the reality is, if you think about it, if someone is a user and they're used to going on Amazon um, and in Canada, they're just going to do whatever the easiest thing is to do. And if that's for them translating it with machine to French, the machine's going to do all of it. So I guess you could maybe put in a couple backend keywords if it really made sense for your product. But um, I've yet to have someone come back to me and say, wow, you know, I put in the lay whatever. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, for, I, for simplistic reasons, yeah, putting in just French, into their listing and really bumped their sales in that capacity. Is that where you're getting at? Yeah, exactly. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, maybe down the road if you're finding ways to optimize, but you know, the algorithm is optimizing for English. I'll just say that. Gotcha. Now that was a good question and good Very response, good. Kevin. Yeah. Thanks Francois. Uh, for that question. Again, if you have questions like this, everyone who's watching this live, or later on for the podcast, go ahead and submit your questions. We'll see them. We'll make sure we kind of get to the bottom of it. And if we have any other like clarifying statements, we can always basically chat with you through through this audio form. That's the beauty of going live with people. We can instantaneously talk to them. Um, the other question, I guess the top tips for diving into uh, Canada, Kevin, what are the ways for people to get started? Is it the North American Remote Fulfillment Program to get started? What 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 is maybe some ways to dip your toes into selling in Canada. If, if you can't fully just jump right in. Well, my, my statement. So I had one product that was live and maybe three or four that were in the hopper, so to speak, um, that were coming out when I launched into Canada and it's worked out well for me. I know some, I've heard people say like, Oh, you should be like a seven multiple seven figure seller, you know, before you start looking at international marketplaces, I disagree because all you're doing is just accelerating your growth. And you know, if you're, if you're adding on growth um, and it could be with the same 
inventory purchases, you're just shifting a little bit of it to go north to Canada. You're turning it over faster. You're getting money back faster. You're growing faster. And then you can reinvest that faster back into your growth. So I see no reason not to do local FBA inventory. The only reason I would suggest someone do NARF, the remote fulfillment program, mm -hmm. is let's say you had, and I had a client like this, he had like 10,000 SKUs, um, you know, all kinds of different variations. Now for him, it would be a logistical nightmare to send stuff up there because, you know, even in the US, he might have some SKUs that sell, you know, a handful a year. So if mm -hmm. he's getting, let's say 10, 15% of sales, you know, was he going to you know, sell a handful a decade? So that's not worth it. And so pick ones that he thinks are going to sell the best, send those in his FBA inventory. And then from there, what he could do is, or what he's done is say, I will take the, um, the rest of them and list them as remote fulfillment. And so they'll come out of my US inventory. And the reason I think it's so much better really to be clear about FBA versus NARF inventory is anecdotally from talking to folks, you probably get about one or 2% bump in sales by doing NARF for mm -hmm. for the amount of work it takes to set up. Why not? Yeah. If you're going, if you're sending in FBA inventory, there's a couple forms you have to fill out, which they're really not that complicated. Um, but you fill out a couple forms and then you got to remit money to the government once a year with, as basically their version of sales tax. Yeah. GST. Yeah. The GST. And it's actually going to save you money in the long run. I believe by doing it with registering for GST um, because there's these import taxes and stuff like that um, that you're going to get credit on. You pay fulfillment fees. They charge you taxes on that you can get credits on. But with NARF, what happens is um, there is no free ride. So your fulfillment fee is going to be a little bit higher than it would be if you were just doing a regular fulfillment fee within the U.S. Uh, when you adjust for the currency, the um, the customer has to wait longer for the product because it's not coming from, let's say, Ontario. It's not really prime shipping. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's not prime shipping. I, I, I think sometimes it does. I think Amazon's played both ways where they've tested it with the prime badge, but then people, I think, got kind of upset because it wasn't really prime because there are a lot of prime members in Canada and they're used to, you know, like two day shipping. It's not quite as fast as in the US, but they're still used to two day shipping as opposed to, you know, it might take right. a week because there's, you know, backlog at the border and they have to pay extra duties and they have to pay extra shipping. So it's just a much better customer experience. So if it's a better customer experience, the algorithm, I truly believe rewards local inventory. Um, even within the U S California versus New York, you might see completely different search results because the algorithms favoring what's easier to get to the customer. So you can imagine within different countries, inventory which they're going to favor and then also if you're a customer and you realize oh, wait this isn't twenty dollars this is going to be like 30 because i have to pay extra for duties and taxes and uh shipping so mm -hmm. that would affect the conversion rate so anecdotally fba inventory for the same inventory oftentimes is about 10 20 percent ish of what the sales are in the u.s which makes sense it's about 10 percent of the population right. but yet less competition because not yeah. everyone takes the bold leap 
into exactly the and, and that and, and that's just I, i'm not an amazon seller like i said for for people who are trying to expand international i know that like product is your biggest debt right you like you're investing in product if it just sits at a location fulfillment center in canada and it doesn't sell the velocity of you know united states what are like those testing you know pros versus cons i as a seller would think like hey that is scary but maybe like kind of ripping off the band-aid if you will is the best way to do it i guess in a smaller like scale what are like some of the best products that you think are are doing in the marketplace like is it is it is it just completely different than the us marketplace or is your best sellers nine out of ten gonna be top sellers in canada as well yeah it's a great question so like for example if you're selling fishing gear i'll just say here in florida i'll just use an example you can go i can go out to the pond right out here it's probably people might hate me for saying this but it's gonna be like 80 degrees today um it's gonna be nice and warm um i wish yeah that affects sales of things that are outdoor whereas in canada i'm sure right now a lot of their lakes are frozen over so maybe if it's like ice fishing you know supplies that might affect it or you know if you have stuff that's outdoors you might have a shorter season but maybe there's more compact demand and so you might get a higher bump all at once but other than like you know th those type of seasonal items um for the most part it's not exactly you're going to see the exact you know you launch a product in canada it's going to get exactly 10 percent. sometimes you're going to be surprised with maybe just the taste of the customers a little different how your products um interact with the algorithm might be different because there's going to be different competition um might be some of the same might be some completely different products um so you just never truly know until you test it out but one thing i've noticed with folks is like you know if they have this mindset of like okay my normal moq my normal minimum order quantity is a thousand units or i'm normally ordering a container load and so they think well i got to order another container for canada absolutely not take your container take a couple cases and test it out if for whatever reason, let's say you run out of inventory faster than what you thought, that's okay. I think it's better to start small, get data, and then as time goes on, you can build it up to um, to have data to make you know intelligent decisions on for future purchases. Because this isn't a get rich quick scheme. This is a you know build a foundation for something that's going to be you know impactful in your business in the long term. Do you, uh, do you have clients who have sold or exited their brands on Amazon before? Um, I have, it's a good question. So for the most part, most of the clients I deal with are people that are kind of long haulers. Usually mm -hmm. if you're selling your brand, you probably, the folks at like quiet light brokerage, for example, might say, don't do anything within a year because right. you're not going to recoup the value of it. So because you're looking back on a year so you want to do it within about a year but the interesting thing on that is there's in the i've heard people talk about in the purchasing world that some buyers are turned off by the idea of a business that already has got international sales only because really? that's one of the first places that they would go to add value to it so I'm thinking if someone wants to buy your business and that's going to be one of the first places they go, that's like the low hanging fruit to add value, mm -hmm. add value to that today. Because Joe Valley from uh, 
Quiet Light Brokerage, who's an yep. expert on this stuff. It, we'll have really, him on the show in, uh, next week, actually. Oh, good. Tell him I said hi. I like Joe. He's a really good guy. Yeah, um, absolutely. He explained, like, let's say you might, instead of a 3x multiple, maybe you get like a 3.1 multiple because you've added on Canada. So there's a little more diversification. And so, you know, when you do the math, let's say you have $100,000 in profit, seller's discretionary earnings um, on your business in the US. And let's say you added an extra 10% to the bottom line. So now you have 110,000. You'd think like, oh, it's three times three, you know, so 300,000 is what your business is worth without Canada, 330,000 is what's worth with Canada. But he said it might be 3.1, but that 3.1 isn't just on the Canadian profit, that's on the whole thing. So right. it might be an extra $42,000 in value you added by adding on Canada because your whole business is now worth more. So now that starts making it make more sense, like, oh, okay, maybe I should do that. And maybe some buyers will say, I don't want the, the business that's already in international marketplaces because I want to be able to add that to it. And others might say, well, I don't have to worry about adding that. It's already there. And so they'll find other ways to add value to the business. Yeah. The reason I bring that up is because if you're already building it out and having this like this portfolio, that's already a well-oiled machine. And again, mm -hmm. this is uh, you've done this over multiple years and you're looking to exit, obviously don't start it and then try to sell, have the selling process because that would tank your value. But if you're selling internationally already for two years, three years, just in Canada or Mexico, you're not selling in every marketplace, which is fine. But if you're showing that value of like, hey, my brand is worth this internationally too, because this is what I'm selling in Canada, this is what I'm selling in Mexico, or this is what I'm selling in uh, Australia, all those different marketplaces start to compound on itself and like, hey, it's worth noting that if I take, if you guys took this to the next level, it's a well-recognized brand internationally, you start launching products under that brand umbrella, it's going to be international. So there will be more and more sales already coming from that. So it's interesting that someone finally has uh, <laughs> validated my reasoning of when you go to sell your business already and you're selling internationally, it just starts to add and compound on your value uh, as a brand. So for those of you who are looking to ex exit your business and you're listening to this, start thinking internationally. Um, mm -hmm. What about what about the one program to Kevin? And again, I have Kevin uh, Sanderson from Maximizing E-Commerce. You tell on your show, uh, you're, you're talking about different ways to help grow sales internationally and whatnot. I recently found out about the multi-channel fulfill program, the MCF program. Do you know what that is by chance? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it's basically like if you sold something on eBay, there's mm -hmm. even software tools that will connect eBay and Amazon and ship mm -hmm. automatically. Um, it still comes in an Amazon box. So right. Walmart, that for example, uh, really frowns upon that. Um, but as a, but as a, if you're growing off of Amazon, this is, this is where I'm going with this com comment. If you're, if you're taking the opposite approach, what you're typically helping with and you're helping people am on Amazon off of it onto like Shopify, for example, in their own branded site, mm -hmm. does it, ma does it matter if you're using Amazon? So for people who don't know this program, this is how I understand it. You are using your real time that your real time inventory on Amazon that's tied into Shopify or another branded website and you can fulfill from Amazon's warehouses. And it arrives obviously in an Amazon box, but if someone is shopping on your branded website and you receive an Amazon branded box, does that 
matter to you as a seller or should that matter to you? Or do you think that has a negative effect on you as a brand? I have yet to have someone because I've, I've used it before, like on my own website or like, right. I'll just have Amazon send it. I've yet to have someone write me and say, I can't believe you. Yeah. Did and sometimes I've even had it where the price on my website is higher than the price on Amazon. So that all they have to do is look and realize I just charged them like three bucks more or something like yeah. that. But they, well, and just, yeah. I mean, well, that was the thing I was going to say is like, I know naturally e-commerce websites are doing that. They're charging higher because it's again, perceived value. It's wherever people find you. And if they're going to pull the trigger, that's on that customer to not do the research or if, Hey, this is where I find value. That dollar amount doesn't bother me and they purchase there good for the seller because then you're capitalizing on, you know, an uptick in, in, uh, that listing price, but how it, how they use it to fulfill, I thought was genius when I heard about that. I want to say like last Friday, I was, I just found, I was like, I didn't think Amazon would allow that to happen, but it makes sense if you're housing in, you know, your warehouse and you're paying storage fees and all that stuff. Um, for you to tie into a program like that sounds pretty fantastic to kind of grow that brand outside of just.com. Um, are there any other things that you're looking at or you're using or you're using for your clients to say like you need to be a part of these programs, whether it's like in Europe or in Canada, like what other things should they be looking at to kind of like build out that scope of they're making sure that they're everywhere on these marketplaces? Yeah. One of the things I would say that the scariest part for a lot of people is the taxes is, yeah. but I'm going to, disclaimer here, I am not a tax professional. So do not start, you know, making business decisions because you heard some dude on the internet talking about uh, taxes. Really what I'm doing is giving people kind of a thoughts to ponder on to ask qualified um, tax professionals about. But often exactly. what will happen is someone will go to their CPA, you know, whoever's doing their income taxes in the US, for example, and say, hey, I want to sell in Canada or I want to sell in Europe. And I want to do that. And they look at them like, I have no idea about that stuff. That's not what I do. Like, because they're trained on tax forms, on income tax. And maybe at the state level, they know state income tax. They don't really deal with even sales tax usually. And so oftentimes I've, I've seen it happen to people where they're like, yeah, I just can't sell internationally because, you know, I don't want to switch my accountant. Da, da, da. Well, so if I, I'm taking my son to the doctor on Wednesday, if let's say we went to the doctor and we said, hey, you know, he's complaining that his tooth hurts and his doctor says, well, you know, I'm a primary care physician. I don't really, I mean, I, I look in their mouth, but I don't really deal with teeth. Exactly. I wouldn't say, I'm sorry, buddy. You're just going to have to deal with that, you know, tooth. <laughs> no, we would go to the dentist. Right. Because they both have the word doctor in their title doesn't mean they do the same thing. And so you would go to the type of doctor that serves whatever your need is. Some doctors are generalists, some are specialists, but you want to go oftentimes something that's a little more specialized. You might just want to go to that type of specialist right away. And so what I would suggest doing is go to your, um, your tax preparer. And I will tell you this, my tax preparer, I'm probably the only person he has that has international sales and he has no problem with the income tax portion of it. 
And then I deal with companies like Avask for my that. I deal with uh, um, sales tax and more I've used for uh, my Canadian GST. And so don't let taxes get in your way. Because at the end of the day, there's two buckets of taxes. There's sales tax and income tax. Sales tax is generally going to go to wherever the local government is. So wherever you're making the sale, sometimes it's a little more complicated than that, but at least have the mindset of the doctor you're going to is the accountant, so to speak, for um, that type of taxes. And then you have income tax, which usually is going to go to your local government. So on the profits, you have to pay someone for the income. And in most cases, for most sellers, it's going to be if they're in the US, they're going to pay Uncle Sam. Yep. That's, those are awesome tips, especially like, hey, if you don't understand, just ask the question or there, there's qualified people out there. And again, it's as simple as filling out a couple forms, making sure you pay a couple extra taxes, which again, it's not outrageous to sell in Canada or to sell in Europe. Uh, for 2021, I know we're coming up on the top of the hour before we have to get off. For 2021, what are your greatest opportunities do you think international sellers or sellers in general need to start paying attention to or be aware of? I think they should start by going into the low hanging fruit. Like if you're like me, I get an email almost daily about going into Singapore or UAE or Turkey or somewhere. Those new marketplaces, oftentimes they sound great. And Amazon's got all these resources to suggest that you go there, which I'm not against it. But a lot of times these marketplaces, they don't have PPC. They're not well established. That means oftentimes the customers don't even realize there's an Amazon there. <laughs> like in the case of Australia, they're still buying on eBay more than they are. Um, so go to the low hanging fruit like Canada. Canada is one of those that gets forgotten because it's, the grass is just so nice. They're so nice. They like, really are. They, they really are. They don't, they don't want to make every person I talk to from Canada. They're so gosh darn nice. Like mm -hmm. it's, they don't want to make a fuss about, Hey, listen to us guys. And like, that's not, you know, for people in Canada out there again, we love you. Like our neighbors to the North, but like start banging your fist a little bit louder. It's ridiculous that you don't do more sales on Amazon and more sellers don't do more on Canada. It's, it's infuriating to figure out like why that's the case. Like, I don't know it and I don't understand it, but I think I still see so many successful people in Amazon, like tout, like there's just this opportunity there, but no one takes advantage of it. And that's like, you're, you, you, you hit a nerve. Dang it, Kevin, you hit a nerve for with me. And I'm, I'm right there with you. Like low hanging fruit. I would say Canada. If, if I'm, if I were to jump on your bandwagon and say like, Europe or UK, and then also Germany. If you yep. look internationally at the data, those three marketplaces are the top three in terms of search volume on Amazon. That being said, the rest of the world's going to catch up in terms of usability, in terms of like, it's just so fresh still. Like Australia is still, like you said, eBay, but they're starting to move the needle towards Amazon a little bit. It just takes time. Yeah. Amazon, Amazon's just been around in .com forever. Well, I say forever for a very long time. So everyone's used to it. But if you start to look at the numbers, they start to spike and skew in other places. Um, is there any other tips? I didn't mean to hijack that. that thought no, 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 that's okay. And I'll, I'll give a quick little shameless plug. If somebody is looking to um, expand into Canada, I have a free um, resource if that's okay. Absolutely. 
Yeah, is that on your website? Um, actually, no. <laughs> oh, look at that! Terrible when it comes to internet marketing. That's okay. <laughs> that kind of stuff. But if you go, this is easy to remember. CanadaChecklist.com. I have a checklist that walks you through step by step how to get set up in Canada. Again, CanadaChecklist.com. Um, it just worked out that domain was available a couple of years ago when I bought it, so I snagged that one up. And so uh, it walks you through step by step how to start your own uh, Canadian. Um, business because at the end of the day like time is going to go by regardless so in a year from now it's going to be a year from now and so do you want to look back and say oh i could have gotten sales if i had added on canada then maybe a few months later add on uk then maybe a few months later add on germany and so then all of a sudden now you've got all those marketplaces where you're banging out more sales around the holiday season um so yeah, that was the, that was the ugly URL redirect yeah. that I got. Yeah, CanadaChecklist.com, everyone. We'll make sure it's on there. But the one that are in the comments for both uh, YouTube and Facebook, um, LinkedIn as well, is again, it's CanadaChecklist.com. But that was the redirect that I posted in the comments. It just redirects because it's a it, it's an ebook and checklist. It's all good. I, I'm reading it right now, but go ahead and download that checklist too to make sure like you can learn step-by-step step to expand your Amazon sales into Canada. Um Anything else before we, we uh, cap off the show today, Kevin, that you want to leave our listeners with? Like any tips or insights that you, you think people jumping into Canada, like w what is that? Like anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, and, and I know I have services that help people with this. So, you know, my, my recommendations here aren't exactly 100% unbiased. But even if you don't do anything with me, you download the checklist and unsubscribe, you know, five minutes later, please... <laughs> I, I don't I, don't do that is what he's saying. But if you no, do, no, no. if you do that, okay. fine. I'd rather I I would rather someone get the results and do, you know, launch into Amazon. I'd rather put that out into the universe, so to speak, that they launch right. into Amazon in Canada than to, you know, a year from now, they kind of wish that they had. And it's really not that hard. You know, it's just one step in front of the other, basically. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Can uh, Kevin. I say Canada. Thank you, Canada. Yes. Kevin, on behalf of Canada, Kevin thank, you, Kevin, thank you on behalf of Canada for joining us today to talk about how, again, low-hanging fruit. That's what I'm going to take away from this. Low-hanging fruit in Canada, uh, it's theirs for the taking. It's going to continue to grow. It's continue, even though, you know, not as much traffic for .com, there's still opportunity for sellers to really add on to their profits and, um, you know, and grow their business from there. So thank you so much for hopping on uh, Crossover Commerce today. Go ahead and hang on right there before I'll go ahead and uh, cap us off. And then uh, thank you so much for joining today, a new friend of the show. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. Ryan. Yep, no problem. And then again, thanks, uh, Kevin Sanderson of Maximizing E-Commerce uh, for joining us today. Again, this is episode 53 of Crossover Commerce. Again, I'm your host, Ryan Kramer. Uh, this show is presented by Ping Pong Payments. We go live four to five times a week that bring you the best insights and tips in the e-commerce space. Uh, join us again tomorrow. We actually have, we're going to be going live Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday this week. Tomorrow, I have a really special guest, Jim Mann of Thrasio, who's going to be joining me. Uh, we're going to talk about, he was a former FBA seller. Now he's in the business of acquiring FBA businesses. So, he is in charge of UK expansion for Thrasio. It was just announced that they have even more funding in their expansion into Europe. 
uh, UK, Germany. So we're going to be sticking with that international flavor, if you will, of his story in growing inter 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 into the international landscape, but then also how businesses like them are acquiring brands um, and allowing exits to be successful. So definitely tune in tomorrow. And then we, we obviously have other uh, experts in the Amazon and e-commerce space from Gatita, as well as um, uh, Chris Schifferling from, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name real quick, Global Wired Advisory Advisors. Excuse me. Sorry about that, Chris. So we will have a whole slate of different shows talking about multiple different things in e-commerce and Amazon space. Again, we go live on Facebook, Amazon, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. And then also you can download these episodes at a future date on Amazon, uh, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, literally anywhere where you subscribe to your podcast. But go ahead and do that today. Give a thumbs up for these episodes on YouTube and go ahead and share and subscribe for future episodes as well. Again, I'm Ryan Kramer, and for Kevin Sanderson of Maximizing E-Commerce, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Crossover Commerce. Be safe out there, everyone.